Welcome everybody, Good Life Housing Partners. It is our weekly podcast. Today is Monday, September 25th, 2023, and it is Yom Kippur. Happy Yom Kippur, Mr. David Fong. Yes, happy Yom Kippur to you too. How does uh, this Yom Kippur find you, my friend? You don't look like you've been on any type of fast or anything, so I'm assuming you're not observing. <laughs> yes, yes. No, no uh, I have not been observing any fast. Just your normal fast. Just my normal not, fast, not, not, sometimes, not. In the, sometimes for breakfast. But <laughs> anyway, uh, so, so last week was the awaited, uh, fed long-awaited, meeting, long-awaited fed highly meeting, anticipated, highly anticipated fed meeting, and he delivered a pause yeah, as, as everyone as expected suspected, but it yes. was a quote hawkish pause as yes. one would say yes he said uh give me some quotes there's uh while while uh, uh, price pressures have some shown some encouraging signs of easing getting inflation back down to the two percent target is far from over according to mr powell and basically the fed sees little reason and feels no pressure at all to cut rates you know, especially while the economic employment conditions are still somewhat strong and favorable. Yeah, um, it's, it's still, a, you know, I think I think that th- this is still a fairly strong economy. And I think that the other side of it that I don't think the Fed is talking about, but you're starting to hear more and more, is that the interest rate hikes are just really starting to be felt more and more. But it's going to take more time to, for them to actually get felt. And so one of the things I'm, I'm sort of hearing more because it's, it's that, you know, one year, nine months, whatever the lag is for it to actually impact that, like, if you start down the road of not of of, uh, increasing, that's one thing that means you're like trying to tame it even further. Or if you start actually talking decrease or or like continued pause, some of that effect might not be fully impactful. you mean you mean take away the 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 wind from the existing impacts? That's right. Coming. You're just waiting for these impacts True. to really hit. True. You're waiting for the, the the plane to land still, sort of. Well, they also released when they when when they also had this meeting something called the the Fed's economic projections or what they call uh, in the industry the dot plot DOT the dot plot yes uh, which you know I guess is some data plus also some views on the committee members and the committee members all expect one more rate increase this year, so it's going to get the Fed funds rate somewhere around the range of 5.6% uh, from what we have at 5.3% today. So another 25 basis point increase. The standard. Yeah, and then expect rate cuts uh, in 2024. So uh, they think it'll be the plot data shows that, that that rate should be about 5.1% by the end of next year. So by the end of 2024, it'll be 5.1% from the, you know, where, where we're uh going now up to 5.6 percent from five. you know the, the hard part about this to some degree is it still like feels like something needs to like like visibly break yeah. before you get cut well well the, well the wild cards are and i think we talked about this on last week's podcast that they they mentioned too and a lot of people economists all refer to as you know this uaw strike which is starting, yes. starting to expand a little more Yes. This government shutdown, debt yes. ceiling fight we're having, which will actually uh, is is end of this week, right? October one is the, the the deadline for when the sh- the shutdown could happen if we That's don't get this week. next week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but basically this is the last yeah, week to work it out. Yeah. And then and then at October one is also when the student loan payments start happening, and so there's a lot of stuff happening coming down the next week or so, and so you know, and of course there's always the X factor, you know, some event 
global event, Ukraine, China, whatever. Yeah. Something. The, in, those in, are harder happen. to predict yeah. to some degree, right? These other ones, like, we can kind of see them coming up on the horizon. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the black swan or the, yeah. the larger global events harder to figure out. But, you know, how deep this strike goes, how long it goes. Um, I mean, I, I've heard some, uh, you know, strike that a lot of people, I, I, at least I felt when I was not from California that I paid no mind to was Hollywood strikes. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, so, I hear, but I hear about it all the time since I live here in California. And well, it's funny. It's such a you big industry. Funny, that think, there's some progress made today. I right. I think so, they've gotten to a deal yeah. more or less. But what's funny is that being real estate guys, we have like very little involvement with the entertainment industry, even down to the fact that like we office in downtown LA. We're, we're, we're not like where you come from the South Bay, where I come from like Pasadena, we don't pass by studios. Yes. So we don't see anything. It's like very, you just hear about it here and there. And then we mostly now stream everything we watch. Yeah. I watch a lot of sports, you watch some sports, we, we, we look at a show or two. But it hasn't really impacted any parts of our life for them yeah. to some well, well, I have to confess that, you know, when I moved here from New York 20 years ago, uh-huh. you, you know, I, you know, coming from, uh, and, you know, as New Yorkers all think New York is the center of the universe. And so yes. I, I, I'm used to New York, you know, Wall Street, finance, you know, Fortune yeah, yeah, 500 yeah, yeah. companies, you know. And then I remember when, I, when my first uh, eye-awakening moments was when there was the, uh, the Academy Awards. Was was on and and I was I lived near Beverly Hills and I was going out to get some dinner and I remember all these streets were closed by the Beverly Hilton Hotel because the award ceremony was happening there and I remember asking the policeman what was going on I thought it was like some the president oh, was visiting or something ago. yeah this is years ago so, okay and so I was like what is going on and 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 you know he pointed out it's it's, it's the Academy Awards it's <laughs> like hey. are you crazy this is like you know major yeah. major I'm, event in Los Angeles how could you not know what, what it was. This is like 1999, 2000. Oh, I, see, I was in college then. And that was like, because I was at USC and there was a lot of people that were like near the film industry or want to be in the film industry. That was like a big thing. That was a big thing. But I a, didn't like, I was and, like, yeah, whatever. And, and, and then for me, I, and I was just thinking with my New York bias at the time, thinking like, huh, that's a that's a real serious thing. It's like an industry. And, and, and as I've grown to live here, you know. Hollywood is is a major you know, like you said it's not in our industry but you know I've had a few neighbors who were from the entertainment industry and, and you know it's it's you know I had someone from Univision and it's I remember they used to talk about this or or, or you know I think my, my current neighbor has a has a viewing party at some of these shows I hear all these people come by his house and stuff so for some people this is like a, a major industry and it is you know, when it you look at the major. economics no I agree it's a major industry I mean I think we're just out of the view I'm you know what's funny is when I was a freshman it was like one of and I was at USC they used to have the Academy Awards at the Shrine Auditorium. Oh, at the Shrine. Okay. And everyone would go to the roofs of USC so you could see down at that red carpet. Oh, to look at the You could look down and too. see, like, you know, I don't know who's famous then, like Johnny Depp <laughs> or something, or Denzel Washington. The same people are famous now, basically, just yeah. 20 years ago, younger. Um, anyways, like, I, I remember that was, like, a huge deal. And people, I even remember, like, people getting dressed up for it. And, but I was like, well, you're not going to it. <laughs> like, you're, not, you're just going to be yeah, like well, there. And, and then, like, all these after parties and all this stuff. So, so yeah. uh, anyway. It's a big deal. We, we, it's so funny because we are just, like, so removed from removed that. and just distant from it. It doesn't, like, I mean, I know a handful of people just like you. That's about it. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, so yeah. So, so but I think are, to the bigger point, all these all these strikes that are happening, and we touched on this last week, is... Is a lot of this is happening because there is such strong employment yeah. and overall strength in the economy. 
Because you don't like you're you're not trying to strike when things are bad. Like that's yeah, not yeah. the move. Yeah. Right? Your leverage is yeah, kind of yeah. low there. Yeah. I mean, and one and the jobless claims report also came in last week was a little lower than expected. So, but still good. It, it, it's still good. And so better than this it. is. Yeah. To be honest, this is actually in some ways it's made Powell's job a lot easier because, you know, if his goal is really to tame inflation, it, you know. Think about it if it was the opposite. If we had a right. much worse economy, and right. then You're he right. did no, these it's, cuts because really he really wants to work on inflation. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like there'd be a lot more job oh, losses. I, unemployment yeah, yeah. would be a lot higher and suffering. Well, and would be super mad. Yeah, people <laughs> would be. I mean, you. Would, I mean, we're regular CNBC guys in here. We're watching that on the, you know, on the daily, and you would see like massive criticism of his policy, and we need to reduce rates, and we need to stimulate, and all this stuff. Like, yeah, in some way there hasn't been that outrage, and he's been able to. When you I think mean, about nothing, it, like, except for our industry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah except like, for our suffering. industry. And that's why he's able to do this, you know, eleven times. And so, yeah. So, like, I think in, in, in really with zero consequences. Yeah, with zero consequences. Yeah. I think the politics and, and the reactions from the rest of the government would have been different if, if we were in, in a much uh, bad or worse economic condition. I think so. I think you're right. Um, go go back to economic conditions. So we we always talk about the struggling office market. Um, there was a big announcement last week. Uh, WP Carry, who to me I was a company over fifty years old, um, has has you know accelerated his move to bail out of the office market. And I've always thought of WP Carry as an office company. And so they're I, New York I based, right? They're New York based. Yeah. They're the masters of net leasing, but they actually have a lot of. They also own retail, industrial warehouse, um, some self storage, and some other like specialty re- uh, real estate like funeral homes and and, uh, and movie theaters. But they uh, initially announced they were uh, accelerating it through some asset sales and then a spinoff of a separate REIT that they're just going to uh, move off. So the company itself will not own any more uh, office. And then they basically, um, you know, their asset sales is selling 87 office properties and they're selling this in this REIT. They're donating 59 office pro- properties into it. That's 9.2 million square feet of just basically office buildings leased to a single tenant. So they're known for being single tenant guys and they just decided, you know, office is not the play anymore. Um, it used to be the, you know, the, the third largest uh, or, or the largest component of their holdings and then it became the third largest now because they beefed up in the other areas as a sort of a, a full service investment firm covering different asset classes. Um, but to me, again, like I said, when I was growing up in the industry in New York, I used to hear the, the name WP Carey. Yeah. Like I always thought of net office lease. And, and, yeah. And, uh, you know, they're leaving. <laughs> so I think it's, it's a pretty, like, I don't know enough about them or how they came to this decision, but I know that they're a pretty stalwart, like, New York office owner. And it's pretty wild to, like, hear of a company of that size actually getting out, like, and publicly getting out. Yeah, I mean, the you don't generally, get pretty right? you, don't, you don't like it's not like Brookfield might be getting out. Maybe I don't know. I mean, I don't think so because I think they're so heavy in office. I don't think they can. But like, they, I don't know if I would telegraph to hey, I'm done with this industry. Like this is great, guys. Yeah. Like I don't know if that would be the move. So, so yeah, I don't know what's telling. Yeah, what's the message for the market then, or what does that suggest? Or like, yeah, what is that? They, what do they know about the office market? Well, it that almost maybe seems we should like think about. You no, know, what's interesting is like they, they. It almost seems like they've sort of just surrendered that like we're already sort of screwed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like they've sort of capitulated, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and speaking of office, you, you mentioned Brookfield. Um, I did see another article this week, too, about um, the gas company tower, which is one of the one office buildings, Class A, beautiful office building, just a few blocks from here, where Brookfield gave the keys back to the lender. And apparently there's been this uh, massive lease negotiation going on for half a million square feet in that building with the city of L.A., of all people. And it's hit a snag now. Hmm. negotiation something about the city needs more guidance or something for the city council or something and so i don't know if that's just a negotiating tactic but they're 
um, you know, you know, a lot of people are like stunned, like, you know, uh, the lender or the servicer needs to like take that deal, <laughs> whatever that deal is to get that. They should just lease up that half a million, I mean, half a million square feet, so, which so, would be the biggest office lease in LA this year, oh, if I it bet. ever gets that. That's a lot of big lease. I mean, so, so, a lot. Uh, it, it could just be maybe the city of LA is being like a private I, I would, owner. I don't know what, I, I, I would bet you this. Like, I, I, I don't know what the snag is, but I actually years ago saw a couple, um, uh, of deals where the city of LA was a tenant and they were a newer tenant. And one of the things that the broker who was showing me these deals tipped me on on was like that basically the way the city now looks at these deals, at least this is, a, this is like seven, eight years ago, but the way they look at it is essentially they ask for massive TIs, like crazy TIs, like TIs that you're like, you know, white, uh, white shoe for white glove law firms and stuff would ask for. And the idea is that they're like basically like a, like a super strong tenant. But they can't really like ask for like other things, right? They're like they're pro- forbidden to ask for other things. Like I don't know what, how it works exactly. Plus, their rent is sort of designated; it's got to be at this. Be so the what they end up doing, at least at least, this is what they've done in the past, more recent memories, they'll just like get super highly finished space. That's the trade they ask. Yeah, that, and, and so and that building's pretty nice. Well, that building's nice. But if you ask for like like we're doing some yeah little bits in some of our industrial where we finish out the office when we start finishing out that office it gets pretty nice at like 50 bucks but let's just say you ask for 100 bucks on a half a million square feet dude that's a 50 million dollar ti like it gets pretty wild gets like, pretty you, like yeah. if you start asking for some crazy numbers yeah but but also if that service or a landlord doesn't take it i'm sure there's another a building around here Right, where you could find we could find that they can yeah, get. So yeah. they're definitely in the driver's seat. No, they're in the driver's seat. But so. and but I bet you it's a TI thing. Like I and maybe they're not asking for a hundred bucks. Yeah. Maybe it's like forty. But yeah. even forty is yeah. still two hundred yeah. to yeah. twenty million dollars. Well it's interesting because it's it's a battle of the big brokers too, because like yeah. the city is represented by CBRE and yeah. the landlords and the service is represented by Cushman. So oh, they're, okay. they're having some go. special meeting with the oh, same yeah, people sure. and stuff this, this sure. week. And it's probably like if you're thinking like on another level Dude, those office guys in LA are not like they're not like spewing commissions. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah they, that's yeah. a massive. So commission. someone wants that deal, or someone wants to steal that deal, or so, there's so right. like, that's there's something gonna happen. So like, yeah, if they that's play, a pretty play interesting, hands, like, very interesting news role. piece right there. Yeah. So just to make you feel better about the about the uh, U.S. office market, I happened to notice something. I saw an article in the Wall Street Journal recently about the Chinese office market, ah. and we hear a lot about Chinese housing market and crisis and there it is, but uh, nationally. Um, their office market uh, is is also in trouble. They have a, a, a national vacancy rate of uh, twenty uh, twenty four twenty four percent versus the U.S.'s. Wow, I would not is, have guessed Whereas that. the national office vacancy rate in the U.S., which is at a thirty year high in the U.S., is at eighteen point two percent. Now, so but, but I think we should clarify this, this because when I picture the Chinese office market, I don't picture like finished space sitting vacant. I'm assuming this is space that's been delivered that they can't lease. (laughs) It's definitely space that's been, I don't know about the finishes. Right, Um, but I'm I'm saying that it's not like, you know what I'm saying? But but China has a different problem than we do because most of our problems because of this, we talked about this on other podcasts, the fundamental shift with this hybrid work week and and work COVID. Yeah, and how Friday's is off day and Monday's a little (laughs) off of a day. You know, China has no hybrid work shift. You know, they did have lockouts. But now they're that's they're over that people people are supposed to go back to work, 
and you know in China and we've talked about it before there's that phrase 996 you yes know, you know not not you know um, you know Chinese are working you know, you know six days a week nine to nine and so and so um, so it's not like people are you know if, if they if they have jobs and they're going to the office it's just, it's just a day of issue it's just a fundamental real estate issue of supply too much supply, supply not enough exactly. demand and, and demand is falling off because less domestic investors and you know crackdowns on on tech companies um you know it's also you know it used to be one of the other big leasers of space you know beijing has a has a vacancy rate of 18 percent, which is actually three times uh, you know the vacancy rate that they had in 2018 pre-pandemic uh wuhan and other major cities also at a 30 percent vacancy rate so that they're they're suffering heavily 30 percent yeah yeah, and then yeah, and this ultimately, these office buildings are for the most part owned by domestic investors, but some of these um, Class A office buildings are also owned by um, U.S. or or at least uh, Western firms. Tishman Spire, BlackRock, are also big investors there. Um, so China, who used to be a huge, uh, uh, you know, they're one of the kings of the office market uh, in 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 China, who also was so wealthy in the past, especially during the Great Recession, they actually invested a lot in, in their or their principals invested in the U.S. a lot too. They just reported their uh, a ninety three percent drop in net profit in the first half of twenty twenty three alone. Oh my God! So there's definitely you know you know think think you know when you think about how bad we are, they, at least we're not China and things we're and and they also like we were just talking about our economy, their economy is slowing down. Where there is some growth, it's one of the slowest growths that they've had in years, and and so uh, I think it was a point eight percent growth for the second quarter of twenty twenty three, which is uh, not very good, and they. Also well, they're usually like a couple points a quarter. quarter yeah, correct, more. correct, correct. So they—that's like half of what half the half It's a fraction, be. yeah. And then, and you know, unemployment, especially for young people, folks, there, um, youth unemployment hit before now. They stopped reporting it, I think, because the numbers were too yeah. scary in Funny July. Funny how they do that in China. Yes, how they can like, do that in China. Eh. It was twenty-one percent uh, <laughs> unemployment. So uh, a little scary. One in five young people are unemployed, and there's just not enough, you know, high-paying jobs for colleges and, and a lot of this the youth i understand you know they're being asked encouraged by the government to go take blue collar jobs in which case they're thinking why do we go to college in the first place yeah and so um so yeah so grass is a little greener and <laughs> well from so. that perspective they, well you know it's, china's because of it's it's always so opaque you don't really have a clear view yeah unless you go but a lot there. of times it's probably worse than what yeah what, i think what I'm let, reporting. you know i think if you're going there, then you'll get a much clearer view of what's actually happening. But even then, it can be very challenging to actually understand what truly is going on on the ground level there. Yeah. So going back to debt a little bit, we, we talked about you know all this uh, debt maturity. Uh, Trap put out a report. Uh, they focus on CMBS loans, and so they have actual access to real data, uh, at least on, on, on CMBS loans. So far this year, $5.65 billion in loan value. Uh, of loans have been extended so far in 2023. So 5.6 billion wow. loans have been extended. Uh, you know, basically, it, I think it reflects what we talk about. A lot of lenders just kind of extending and and don't want to deal with it. Um, don't even know how to deal yeah. with it. And, I mean, and so the, the re- but that's only a fraction of the loans because the other loans are held by banks and that data is not public. So you don't know what banks are doing or not doing. 5.6 yeah. billion. And out of this 5.65 billion, uh, 30, 37% are one one year extensions, one to 12 months. 32% are 13 to 24 months extension, two year extensions. Uh, 9% of, of these extensions are uh, 
from 25 to 36 months, almost up to three years. Wow. And then only 20% are, at, you know, greater than uh, three-year extensions. So it looks like it's just short-term extensions, really, for lenders to, you know, nothing to look at here, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Keep moving. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess for a lot of lenders who have to actually put this data out, you really don't want these loans to go into special servicing and then you get, you know, reporting in your books and there's just like a trickle effect that gets pretty yeah. nasty pretty quickly. But the other side of it too is that a lot of times if there was real demand, more demand than there is currently to actually do new loans, I would bet you some of these loans would go, they would be less uh, concerned about special servicing or taking the loan back because they're like, hey, we can put more money out. We can put money out, we could get refinanced out. Yeah, we could get more money out. We need to be harder with the borrowers. Yeah. So it's interesting. All right. Well, we, we, any other numbers? Any other Any other little... Uh, the one other number I thought was interesting was credit card debt. It's at a record high of $1 trillion right now. U.S. consumer credit card debt. So according oh, to the trillion, Fed... But you know, that's, that's interesting. $1 trillion and the U.S. economy is a $21 trillion economy. So, you know, about 5% of our economy is pressing credit card debt. <laughs> I don't know, I feel like that. <laughs> which, Maybe which, 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 well, and the other thing too, they talk about with yeah. when you look at it, I guess, with the student housing and the student, excuse me, with student the student debt, debt yeah. being due now, they think a lot, some of that one trillion is, you know, when, when the college kids didn't have to pay their loan payments, some of them probably got shiny new credit cards yeah, <laughs> or, so or enticed true. to get their first credit card. And so they're part of that one trillion in debt. And so now that you have to start paying that student loan down, you know what's going to happen with these um, debts because as you know when you know pay credit cards they have a pretty pretty quick and a pretty fastly accelerating high interest rate um and we, you know now obviously cut down on, on some consumer spending and maybe the kids college kids might have to move back home instead of renting apartments etc <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see what this i don't know if that's is. the case though because like, because most of these loan payments aren't that significant like they're not well, they're significant, like, depending on where you are, obviously, well, but, well, like... For young uh, kids, it may be. It depends on your income. I don't know, but because, it, like, most of the... The average loan payment is somewhere, I think, somewhere between three and $500. Yeah, that's true. So, so I don't know if, like, that's enough for me it's to like go, about go back to, you know, my mom's basement type of deal. <laughs> like, like, I assume that if you're... True, but then if you have, like, a like a credit card bill you can't pay, that's yeah, also a few hundred bucks. true. That whole cycle of interest compounding... <laughs> It's pretty, pretty, pretty rapid. You know, it can, it can be yeah, rapid. You're pretty, right, you're right there. So. I don't know if the, how those loans work, though. I'm not sure how quickly the, co- the compound the happens. Yeah, because no, no, no. I'm not talking about student. I'm talking oh, about credit card. Credit card, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, credit yeah. card, when you miss a monthly payment, then it starts to really... And then it starts to go at, like, 18% loans. or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some are pretty high. No, no, they, they can go... I think mean, it's now the average is, like, 22%. Yeah, or so 22%, like you keep yeah, <laughs> dragging yeah, yeah. that out. That's, oh, it gets painful fast. Yeah, it's, all right, we have a question. We, we, so we, we've been talking about doing these questions for last handful of episodes. We've got a little list of them going here. We're going to start with our first one today. Go ahead, Casey. Sure. So the question from uh, Brent from Champaign, Illinois, is as oh. follows. Uh, will the additional the supply to the industrial asset class uh, impact the strong performance of industrial uh, thus far? Okay, good question. So Brent's asking, had this, you know, amazing last few years of industrial because of mo- largely the pandemics, largely accelerated the trend of 
online shopping and thereby uh, you know warehousing and all that stuff is kind of yeah. really ratcheted up and i think a logical question that he asks is you know that typically guys like us want to build more <laughs> when we see a supply need and and there's definitely a supply need in industrial and so how will that impact it um I think I think that it's a it's a it's a nuanced question because I think there's other things happening that will also impact industrial that are less supply related. And specifically I'll point to on the positive side there is more manufacturing that is going to start happening in this country. And so that manufacturing also needs industrial type space. So that might be a user of some of that new industrial coming to market. On a not as positive side is some of that manufacturing and warehousing is going to probably very swiftly go to Mexico if it already isn't there. And, you know, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's a positive or negative. It will be closer, right, than, than being in Asia, for, for example. But how will it impact the industrial space? I'm not sure. Yeah, I think, you know, you, 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 you refer to crickets. It's a supply and demand thing. And the demand obviously accelerated uh, during the pandemic because people, you know, were ordering things online and because they couldn't get out and stuff. And at the same time, you also had China with their zero tolerance policy back then, uh, where they shut down ports, and so things got backed up, and so that led to to supply chain issues and 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 and, and goods. And when the goods finally made it here to the various ports. Um, you know, there was, a, there was such a backlog of unloading, unloading, and sending ships back out, et cetera. And so that created demand also for, like, storage. And, and you know, I think especially in L.A., we've definitely seen this where there was, you know, big, big growth in this concept of outdoor storage and storage, you know, storing containers and trucks. And then there became all sorts of moratoriums in L.A. about where you can do it away from They don't want you to do it near residential areas and all this. And so I think as a result of, of that demand and there was a need for people to put you know, TEUs and containers places, you, you know, rents and things, prices went up. And so, um, you know, that plus the demand of, of, of consumers wanting more goods, you know, during the pandemic, that, you know, and then stimu- and spending stimulus money, that led to demand for, for these properties. But now as things have now on a macro level, and CBRE just put out a port watch uh, report that talked about how the vacancy rates around the ports and these areas where people wanted storage has actually gone up. Uh, because the container traffic now is basically almost back to pre-pandemic levels um you you know the demand for this space is 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 less and and i don't think there's been a tremendous explosion of building uh more industrial warehouse there's just not a lot of land especially a lot of uh, urban area ports like la houston um there there's not a lot of lands and so so you know there was a supply issue i don't think there's a ton of people building stuff in industrial new new builds other yeah. than other than well i think you just further out along the supply chain yeah, you, yeah not in, along in the, the ports in the port cities on the coast i don't think you can do it you just you're just in a place where you just can't build right now and um, there's just no land like you said um the other side of it that's kind of interesting too is is probably a lesser known um factor but what, what i think we should consider is just the overall industrial buildings because of so much rampant demand and such a, an acceleration in that side, there I think has been um, a, a general 
move towards creating much more efficient industrial buildings. And we saw this last year yeah. when Amazon handed back, I think it was millions of square feet of industrial yeah. space because they said essentially we've we've taken that industrial building or made it like double the efficiency in yeah. size when we've gone vertical and done all the stuff. Yeah, robotics. And right, AI robotics. And, and so I think that's like a hidden, like more of a hidden thing that's going to start happening too. Yeah. It's like that will, you, you will have this demand for, for bigger users, especially yeah. super users, to have more efficient yeah. space. So I think the answer to the question, well, it's a complicated question, yeah. is while there was a short-term peak, you know, because of COVID and what's right. happened in demand, and, and the valuations, of course, then correspondingly went up, I think now you're going to see a little more flattening as it comes back down. I, I think a lot of, the way I originally heard the question too, and I think this is the way I think a lot of our, our listeners might think about it, is like when you think of like housing in the, in the country, in the U.S., like you hear this number all the time that we need like 5 million new houses, new apartments, houses, whatever you want to like get to equilibrium here. And we're doing like 400 a year, 400,000 a yeah. year, four to 500,000 in good years, okay? So like there's like an obvious like... Shortfall there. Shortfall, like that's very easy. demand. I think industrial is tougher because there's a lot, it's a lot more nuanced than just saying, okay, we're just going to build like a million houses and fix this. Yeah. Because you you know you, there's more factors that weigh in here. Yeah. There's demand, but I don't think the velocity is as great. The velocity is yeah, not as great, great. and there, and then there's just other restrictions that you just can't build in certain areas. You can't you can't even have an outdoor storage in certain areas. Like it's now getting more and more restrictive to do any of this stuff. So, I think that, I think you're going to see a flattening. I think is the best way to leave it. All right, let's talk. Uh, let's go to some content here. So, any any good content for you this past uh, week? No, not uh, not different. I'm just watching my uh, suits again. Although I yes. did see an interesting article, which is kind of content related. I guess Netflix um, ended last week, uh, shut down there, and I forgot about this, which was they I didn't even realize they had a mail order DVD service. Yes, it is. And, and so I guess originally Netflix started out that way. Yes. And, and no it, late fees. No late fees. Yeah, and they just basically said, you know, you can't get new stuff from us, but keep whatever you have for as long as you want. For as long as you want. Yeah. Not not not. Not keep it forever. Right. Well, <laughs> they didn't care. Yeah, they didn't care. So, uh, but but you know, it made me think back about oh, it's the end of an era, and I start thinking back about, you know, uh, when was the last time I'd actually ordered DVDs, or actually back in the old days when I was in college about going to DVD stores in New York City to, you know, look through the <laughs> the, the racks and so, <laughs> and uh, so I remember some of the older movies I had rented and so. Anyway, that, which was just basically that was the article that the someone, this New York Times reporter was writing about, about how like, because I guess they also eliminated your DVD order history Netflix had. So oh. uh, people people like to keep that history. Oh, so she's, she's, you know, because she, certain movies bring back certain memories of certain times in your life because you remember, oh, that was the day I saw this movie or, or you know, certain things happened. And so um, that's funny. So um, maybe thought about that. You know, everything's streaming now, so we have to keep our little history, yeah. our streaming history, or we don't remember. Yeah, uh, very interesting. Okay, I... Um, what did you watch? I watched, uh, with my daughter, we went to see uh, Mulan. They had a, a movie in the park, so she got to stay up till like, 8, 30, 9 o'clock. It was a big, big, big day, big, big night for her. But, sadly, I, I didn't find the movie to be that compelling. I found myself just watching college football on my phone the whole time. <laughs> I didn't find the Mulan to be that great. I don't know. I, I, well, was it? It wasn't a musical Mulan, right? Like the cartoon. They this sing was the, a lot. This was it the, the cartoon. Wait, was this the live action one? 
No, no, no. It's a, it's a cartoon. Oh, it was the cartoon. I okay. thought they were singing a lot. Yeah. Okay, okay. No, because they had the li- Disney did a live one too. With, oh you know, yeah, yeah. No, this wasn't that. This was this just just okay. good old okay. cartoon. Uh, yeah, but we we wasn't that great. So I wasn't impressed by the Mulan, and I'm I'm continuing to watch uh, Rami, which is this show. Um, on Hulu, and it's based on the comedian Rami Asif, I think it is, and he, he basically kind of details his life as like a, as like a, a Muslim dude trying to figure out his place in the world, which is pretty interesting. Oh, like, interesting. I, I haven't seen a show like that before. It's a lot, a lot to do with Muslims in America, and and but he's, he's a comedian, so it's a, like there's a funny tint to everything. Um, and then you're, you're actually it's funny your your Netflix late fee thing reminded me of the number which is 240 million when asked blockbuster and somewhere around 2001 how much is your late fee revenue and they were like it's like 250 million dollars <laughs> and and that was then they so they were like basically they were like Good you want to cut that because netflix is zero yeah. and they're like no we can't cut this we need this late fee revenue yeah and and then but that was the moment where like you could see this sort of this, switch yeah it started to shift a little bit like it's that almost was, like when uber like, yeah because there was like blockbuster was not going to change how they were doing their business right so that was probably, hence no more blockbuster well there's one in portland somewhere that's <laughs> like a, a yeah something there anyways any uh any other upgrades or or no, no other upgrades. I no did upgrade. order I'm waiting for my buttercloth shirt. Yeah, it's so a, a nice buttercloth shirt. When that comes. Oh, I, my upgrade was actually, uh, you know, some good football yesterday with the with the Miami Dolphins and their crazy offense putting up seventy points on the Broncos. Who I think just eventually just like, I don't know what they did. They just like stopped showing up on defense because it was like every time they scored, it was just like the score just kept getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> but wait, is Peyton Peyton Manning an owner? Uh, Peyton Manning is a part owner with the Waltons of the Broncos, the Walton family. Okay. I think he's somewhere in the ownership tree. Okay. So that's who they played, right? They, they played, played the Broncos. No, yeah. because I'm, I saw some some articles something about where some reporters were asking him about the game. He got very peevish and annoyed, and I and I, I didn't think he was an owner. So I thought like, why does he care? He he's is, not on the team no, anymore. I, I get it. He was the face of that ownership. franchise. I don't know how it that's, works. That's, 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 that's so that's why I thought. Why? I, I guess he was. A little embarrassed about his, uh, what the team has become. After I mean, they could have broken the the NFL's regular season scoring record, which was seventy three. Yeah, I did. I did hear that, but the um, so quite the week. Uh, all right, folks, that does it. Please do send your questions. We we are going to start getting these uh, done on a regular basis. So please keep them coming, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Be safe and well, everyone.